actually in a series in Philippians, but of course for Easter we're taking a break to look at the wonderful story of Easter morning. God communicates us to us through Scripture in various ways, sometimes through direct instruction and commandment, sometimes through stories, and the Bible's full of stories. The point of the stories is that we would, we would understand who God is and what He's like and what He calls us to, how He calls us to respond to Him. So these aren't just stories, they're stories that are meant to have an impact. They are stories from God Himself. It's a wonderful blessing to be able to have a book that is actually the very words of God. So as we prepare to look at Luke chapter 24, we'll be looking at verses 13 to 35, the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. As we prepare to listen to this story from God, let's pray and ask that he would speak to us, that we might hear from him, our God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonder of Easter morning the resurrection of the Son of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, and all that that means. Lord, we have not even begun to probe all that it means, and we, Lord, look forward to, uh, through faith, spending much time understanding and growing in our understanding and celebrating the wonder of this, Lord, really for eternity for your people. And so, Lord, we ask you today, though, that as we look at Luke 24, would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you change us? Would you help us understand, not just intellectually, as important as that is, but understand in a way that transforms us spiritually and otherwise the wonderful truth of your resurrection, Lord Jesus. Help me to serve these precious people whom you love. And, Lord, speak and do all that you would like to do. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to hear from you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let's look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. This is on Easter morning that this has occurred. Christ has already risen from the grave. You'll find in this story some people aren't aware of all that. But that is what has happened already. That is the background. And so it says in verse 13, that very day... Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Luke, 13, Luke 24, 13 to 35, God's word. And a wonderful, poignant story here for us. And I'm so glad that God has given us this story. And this story is first and foremost, first and foremost, about Jesus and about his resurrection from the grave. That's the, the main point here, is that, that we would know that he has indeed risen from the dead, victorious over sin and death. This is, this is the, the main point here, and the, there's all sorts of implications from that that we, I would love to get into. I can't get into right now. But this, this wonderful truth of the resurrection is set in a context. This wonderful truth, this wonderful revelation about the revelation, uh, resurrection of Christ is set in a context that is very real and relatable. These two disciples on this road are very ordinary people. And their experience, I think, is in many ways very relatable. This story of these two men, Cleopas and the other person, or could it be a woman we don't know, this story is the story really of every Christian throughout the ages. This story was given to us not just to point to the fact that Christ has risen and he's alive, but this story is given to us so that we would understand the things uh, the things that Cleopas and his friend understood, that we would know that, that in many ways our life is like theirs. Our life is often full of confusion and ignorance as we walk along the way. And we too, like them, need Christ to come to us. We need Christ to come to us and bring us his truth about who he is in the word of God. And we need Christ to come alongside of us and to be with us. It really is a picture of the Christian life, and I think the picture of our lives as well. So I want to dig into this story, and I want to talk about how 
We need Jesus along the way and how Jesus meets us along the way. These two disciples are walking to Emmaus. Emmaus is a village nearby Jerusalem, probably northwest, about seven miles uh, from Jerusalem. It's a walk. They walked most of the time in that day. Roughly the equivalent of walking from here to, say, North Andover or Atkinson. Uh, a healthy walk. They're on their way there. They've come from Jerusalem. These are disciples. They've been around Jesus. They're not the, uh, part of the 12, but the bigger group of disciples. And they've been aware of what's been going on. They're, they're just coming from Jerusalem. And, and the tumult that has gone on there. And they're talking about what's going on, and their conversation is probably lively, and it's full of emotion and confusion, and they're perplexed, and they're walking along talking, and Jesus himself shows up, and they don't recognize him. They're kept from recognizing him. And he shows up, and he starts to dialogue with them. What is this conversation you're having as you walk along the roads? He engages them. He draws them out before he draws them into himself and his truth. That, that's like God, isn't it? God is a God of compassion and sympathy. He wants to know our situation. He identifies with us. But he wants to bring us to his truth. He wants to bring us. He wants to rescue us. He wants to meet us. That's what he's doing in this story. They're walking along and Jesus asks that. And their response when Jesus says, what is this conversation? Is they stop in their tracks and they hang their heads. They look sad. This news is confusing. This news is disappointing. They're, what they understand about what's going on, they're confused. They don't understand. And so Jesus, Jesus then asks them more. They, they first, they're astonished. Are you the only person? How could you possibly be coming from Jerusalem and not know what has gone on? And Jesus, I love his response. These things that have happened in these days. He says, what things? And he's, I think, and caring for them, drawing them out, and setting them up uh, so that he can bring truth. But, but first, so that he can hear what's going on, where they are, how they understand. And, and they tell this, this tale of, of, of woe, really. They talk about Jesus as his prophet, mighty in word and deed. And, and that isn't, by the way, because they didn't believe he was God. It's because, because it was a polite and, and careful way to communicate who Jesus was to a Another Jew who you didn't know that Jesus is a stranger. So they're not going to come out right away and say, we think he's God. Uh, so they say, a prophet mighty indeed. And then they tell that they had put their hope in him. They were hoping that, that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. They were hoping. They had put all their hope. They had put all their money on Jesus. Because they saw his life. They knew him. There was reason to do that. And then this this. This tragedy occurs that they, they take Jesus and, and he's taken prisoner. He's turned over by the Jewish authorities to the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities put him to death. And they don't just put him to death any old way. They crucify him. And, and to be crucified in that day was the most shameful sort of death you could you could experience. It, it was a statement. They understood it as a statement from God himself saying, you are entirely accursed. So this one in whom they had put all their hope now has been crucified by the Romans. Their hopes have been entirely dashed. And they're perplexed. And they're sad. That's, that's why they hang their heads. And then they're sad, it says. They stop in the tracks and then they're sad. But then there's more to the story. They say, 
there's more that, that some of the women went and the body wasn't there and they don't know what it means. They, the body's not in the grave. What can that be? And now these ladies said that the, an angel had said that he had risen. I, I don't think they quite get that or they don't believe the women. I, I, I'm not sure, but, but they're, they're not, understand, they're still perplexed. What could this mean? He's gone. His body's gone. He was not only crucified, but his, his grave was robbed. Angels, maybe, I don't, we don't understand. They, they, their hopes are dashed, they're confused, they're perplexed. And we read through the story, and, and, and we, we have a, a vantage point. We know who this is, talking to them, and, and we watch them interact, and you almost want to jump in the story and say, guys, guys, it's, it's him, he's right there, he's alive. It's him talking to you, it's okay. Wake up, dummies, come on, look what's going on. Because we understand, but... But you know what? These guys are like you and me. We have a vantage point. We get to read the story and see what's going on. We have a vantage point of, of knowing more history about what went on. We know about uh, Christ had died and risen. But often in life, we are just as confused and just as ignorant of this wonderful good news and how we live. Now, we might know it in our heads. We might be able to give the right Sunday school answer but often we don't feel like this is true. Often we don't act like this is true. Often we don't live like this is true. And so we're no different than they are. Well, at least I can say that for myself. My day-to-day and week-to-week experience often is lived in a way as if Christ hasn't risen from the grave, as if Christ hasn't paid for my sins and given me eternal life, as if Christ hasn't given me his righteousness before God. See, life is difficult. And there's all sorts of things in life that that can bring us down, that can discourage us, that can bring confusion. The challenges, the tragedies, the failures, the disappointments of life can leave us struggling with any sense of stability. And as a pastor, I I not only see it in my own life at times, I get to see it in others, and, and, and life can be hard. At times, we're beside ourselves as we deal with the different struggles of life, things like chronic sickness, days and months and years of dealing with things like headaches or depression or cancer or digestive problems, things like the death of a spouse or a loved one, broken relationships. Those, those things can like take the rug out from under us at times when a dear friend walks away over a petty conflict or, or there's wayward children or, or a separation and divorce, unexpected conflict and strife that, that we can't explain, looking at a culture that, that seems like it's lost the moral, its moral compass, looking at churches that seem to have lost the good news. And these sort of things can cause us to stop and hang our heads and say, what is going on? We are like Cleopas and his friends. This story is for us. But Jesus doesn't leave them in that place in the story, does he? He he draws them out. He draws them out. He hears their story. He listens. And then he directs them to the truth. He says in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's interesting, at this point, Jesus brings them to the Scriptures. He points them to the Scriptures. 
He hasn't revealed himself yet, has he? He could have just said, I am he, and, and just shown his glory in some way, and they would have said, wow, it's you. But he brings them to the scriptures. He, he brings them to the truth. He brings them to all that the scriptures teach because he wants them grounded in the revelation of God. And folks, we need the same. As we walk along in life, life can be confusing, life can be hard, and, and we need to ground ourselves in the scriptures. So Jesus points them to the scripture. He points them to the Bible. But it's interesting to note that he doesn't just kind of give them a, a hodgepodge of, of principles for living or, or, or just some theological factoids. You know, there's this nice little verse here that will encourage you in your way right now. He doesn't do that. Those things might be helpful at times, but, but he says, guys, it's about me. Now, they don't know it's him yet, but it's about Christ. He brings them to the Scripture, and he brings them to the center of the Scriptures. The center of the Scriptures is Jesus Christ, God the Son. He is the fulfillment of Scriptures, and he takes them through the Scriptures, beginning with Moses. Moses is the first author. The first five books were written by Moses. So he begins with Moses, and he takes them through all the Scriptures, the, the Old Testament at the time. They didn't have the New Testament yet. He takes them through the Scriptures, and he points out in the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that must have been a wonderful conversation. It must have been a wonderful time to listen. They had a seven-mile walk. That's about two hours or so of walking, depending on how fast you walk. We don't have two hours. We have about 15 minutes or so. So I would love to go through, and we could spend lots of time looking at the Old Testament and how it speaks of Jesus, how it speaks in particularly not just Jesus in general, but Jesus' suffering and glory. And that's what he says here. The scriptures teach about his suffering and glory. The, the center of scripture is Jesus himself, the center of that revelation. When we want to know about Jesus, it is his suffering and his glory, his death and resurrection. That's the very core of the truth of scripture for us. And we could go through lots of scripture. Just, I'll just touch on two areas fairly quickly. First, uh, anyone here watched the Ten Commandments last night or recently? The uh, Charlton Heston one? Some of you may know, not even know who Charlton Heston is, and that's okay. Um, there's, not a, there's not a modern equivalent, I think, yet of the Ten Commandments. Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille, 1950s type film. But anyhow, you know the story if you've seen it. That, uh, and it's actually, I said to my, we were watching it last night, I said to one of my children that the Egyptians are portrayed much nicer than they would have been. Um, they're, they're, actually, I, I watched the Egyptians and said, they're actually not that bad. They're kind of like normal American people here. Uh, but the Egyptians were not like, they, they were thoroughly into their gods, thoroughly into all that came with that. They were brutal. They had, they had practiced genocide on the Israelites. They had oppressed them. It was very, very harsh. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, a mean guy like Yul Brenner going around doing bad things. It was much worse. Uh, but we know the story that they cried out for deliverance from their slavery. They cried out and God heard them. And he brought plagues to bring repentance uh, for Pharaoh to let them go, and, and Pharaoh hardened his heart and, and, and did not respond, and the plagues got continued, and then the ultimate plague was that the firstborn, all the firstborn, were to be taken by the angel of death. But God made provision. He said, take a lamb, sacrifice a lamb, and take its blood and put it on the doorposts of your house. And anyone who does that, anyone who puts their faith in God, puts that blood on the doorpost. When the angel of death passes, it will pass over your house. That's Passover. It won't take the life. 
And we know the story. That's what happened. And the firstborn uh, who were not who were not putting their faith, the families that were not putting their faith in God, he took them, but those who put the blood on the doorpost from that sacrificial lamb were delivered. And then that deliverance, they were, they were finally released from Egypt, and Egypt gave them all their riches and said, get out of here, and they left, and they were delivered out of Egypt into deliverance to be God's people. They went from suffering, the suffering of that lamb, its blood was shed, shed to glory, the glory of deliverance. That lamb is a picture of the ultimate lamb, Jesus who suffered, who shed his blood, that all that, that apply the blood to their lives, that all who put their faith in him are passed over, are forgiven, and are, are made his children, and are welcomed into his glory. He shed his blood. He rose again for it to enter into his glory, to reign. He's reigning now. He will return soon, and he will gather all those who are his to himself. He is our king. He's with us now. There's, that's his glory, that is our glory. Exodus chapter 12, one story among many. Isaiah 53, one other one, very quickly. And, and there are hundreds and perhaps thousands of stories like this in Scripture. Isaiah 53, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking about this servant who would come, and he says of the servant, I think we may have it to project, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then it goes on in that same section, talking of this servant who would suffer, who would die, who would take on the sins of his people. And then it says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That the end result, after he makes atonement, after he sheds his blood, will, that, it will be that he will be blessed. He will have people drawn to himself. He will be, be rewarded and he will ultimately rule. It's his suffering and his glory in Scripture. These are just two of the verses. Two of the sections among many, many that perhaps Jesus went through on the road to Emmaus. He did not bring these truths to the disciples just so that they could be theologically informed. Just so that they'd have their facts right. He wanted their lives to be changed. He wanted their lives to be different. He wanted... He wanted to bring true life so as they faced the confusion and challenges of life, they would experience real life. God wants the same for you as well. These truths are for you, for me. They're for us. These truths about the good news of Christ. And we need this story. We need this truth. We need to know that Christ has died for our sins. It, it's the most important truth in in. in all the universe. It is the most vital need for us of all needs. It is more important than any, any other need we have. Now, the need for food, the need for clothing, the need for shelter are not as important as our need to know this truth and to live in it. Our biggest problem is that we are sinners. We are those sheep that have gone astray. We have gone to our own way. We have chosen to live life apart from God. In whatever degree you've done that, for some of us, we, it's not new news to hear that. Yeah, of course, I know. I know what my life looks like. I know what it has looked like. I know I'm far from God. Others, it may be of a lesser degree, and you wonder, well, how, well, how could, I've been pretty good. 
But all of us, to some degree, have, have walked away from God, and, and perhaps you're a relatively good person, but in your heart, have you really loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength all the time? He's worthy of that. Have you really loved others as you would love yourself? I think when you look at yourself honestly, you will recognize, I fall far, far short. I might be better than the next guy, but compared to what is right and appropriate, compared to what I'm called to, compared to Jesus, I fall far short. We have all sinned. And we are separated from God. We need rescue. We need to be rescued. We need forgiveness for our sins against God. We need to be rescued from the power of sin. And so Christ came and he went to that cross. He lived a perfect life. He went to that cross and he took upon himself our sins. And when we put our faith in him, those sins, our sins are forgiven because he has paid for them on that cross. He has shed his blood. He has offered up that righteous life and it's been accepted. How do we know it's been accepted? God raised him from the dead and said, I accept it. It's done. Christ himself said, it is finished on the cross. That was confirmed by the resurrection. The resurrection declares once and for all for eternity, it is finished. The price has been paid. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are mine. As you trust in him, we need that. That's the most important news. Our most important need is to be forgiven and reconciled to God. Scripture teaches that his death is our death. He dies in our place. We die in him to sin. In the old way, we turn and say, I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. And his resurrection is our resurrection. He now lives in us. He changes us. And he will complete the work. When we go to, go to heaven, we will rid this body of flesh and be done with sin. And then when he returns, we will have new bodies in the new earth. A new creation, no more sin, all glory. That is what Christ accomplished in his suffering and his glory. This is the most important news for us. And, 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 and all it requires is that we simply say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. I need you. Thank you for your death and resurrection. It's that simple. And if you haven't yet expressed that to the Lord, you can do that today. You can just say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to do these things anymore. I want to live and follow you. I want, to, I want to live in your life. Help me. Lead me. And if you, if you are at that place expressing that and putting your faith in Christ, these things, these promises are all for you. And this glorious day is your glorious day because you are forgiven and you have life in him. We need this truth. Jesus brings them to this truth on this road to Emmaus. He wants them to be grounded in the word. We need this. And, and we need to hear it day in, day out. It's not just for that first day that you believed. It's for every day. Because every day we will, we will struggle. We will be confused at times. We will be perplexed. We will fail as well. We will fail. And we need to be brought back to this truth. I, I think of it this way. I, I, I don't know... Uh, if you guys have, well, I imagine you have ever had a nightmare and you wake up from the nightmare and you feel like it's still going on. Have you ever had that happen? You're kind of not fully awake. And it isn't until you start like looking around the room and you say, you know, first, where am I? Am I still in the nightmare? I mean, you're feeling it and you're thinking that you're there. And then you look around, oh, wait, I'm in my room. I'm sleeping. This is a safe place. It's okay. And we come out of that nightmare. Life is like that sometimes. 
as we walk along the way, as we deal with disappointments and dashed hopes and failures and, and confusion around us sometimes, it's like the nightmare. And, and we don't know what's going on and we get caught up in those feelings and, and we're perplexed. And Jesus comes and says, I've died for your sins and I've risen again. And that wakes us up. And when we get to that truth and remember that truth, it's like coming out of the nightmare and we realize, you know what? what? It's okay. It's okay. I'm forgiven. I belong to the Lord. He's ruling over all this. Even though it's confusing, he's ruling over it. It's okay. And we wake up. We need the truth like that. We need to come back to the scriptures just as Jesus brought his friends, to the truth. We need to know what is really true along the way. If the band could come up as we close. One final point. So along the way, life is confusing. Along the way, Jesus brings us truth. Along the way, we need the truth of Jesus. Along the way, finally, Jesus never leaves us. Along the way, Jesus never leaves us. This story is a wonderful story. As we read it, we should get the sense, I think, of what, what I think was intended here, that Jesus is, is fully able to be wherever he wants at any time. So they're walking along the road, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Now, I, I, I might be ridiculous, but I started thinking, like, how would he do it? How would he, like, did he get, did he show up behind a bush and then kind of come out from behind the bush? Hey, guys, where are you, where are you going? I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know how he did it. Um, and maybe that's just silly. Maybe that'll be a question I ask when I see him in heaven. Lord, how, how did you do that? Like, did you, did you come from behind a rock or something? Or did you just kind of sneak up on behind him or whatever? Kind of silly, sorry. But, um, but the point is that, that Jesus can appear at any time in any place he wants. So he shows up, he's with them, he walks with them, he interacts, he brings them back to the truth, and then he, he goes with them to their village, probably Emmaus, he goes in and eats with them, and he breaks the bread, he blesses it, he gives it to them, and boom, they see, it's Jesus. And then all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. Now, that's another question I have, is how did that happen? Was there any, like, was there smoke, kind of dry ice smoke that kind of came up? I don't, we don't know how it happened, but he just disappears. He's gone. The point is, he can be anywhere he wants, anytime in any place. I think that's part of the story there. That, and he, later on, he shows up to the other disciples as well. And we know from Scripture, actually, it's even better than that, because once he ascended, he, before he ascended, he made this promise. He made this wonderful promise to us from Matthew 28. He told us to go out and make disciples. And he finished the promise with this, the call, the commandment with this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us right now. If you're a believer, he's here. He's with you. He lives in you. He's with us always to the end of the age. Can you imagine how sweet it must have been for Cleopas and this other guy um, to, to have Jesus with them? And I mean, they said our hearts burned as he taught us the scriptures. They experienced the presence of the Lord. Uh, they didn't know what was going on. Their hearts burned. And, and how sweet it must have been to, to think about him being with them. But that same presence is with us. And when we hear his word, our hearts burn. And he's with us. He's promised us to be with us always. He says in Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're to build our lives on that. Actually, in Hebrews 13, if you look at it, the call is to not be, not to worry, not to fear. He will never leave us or forsake us. 
The same risen Jesus who met these disciples on the road to Emmaus meets us. He's with us individually. And when we gather, he walks with us. And we needn't fear the turmoil of life. We may not understand what is going on, but he is with us. And he is truth. And he's with us along the way. Can, can you imagine if you... One closing illustration. Imagine if you, uh, if you had Chuck Norris with you wherever you went. Would you be maybe a little less afraid to walk down some dark alleys and stuff? Imagine if you had Bill Gates with you all the time. Would you maybe not be too afraid when Bill Time came around to pay the bills? You got Bill Gates as your buddy. Would you, what, imagine if you had Billy Graham with you all the time. And do you think perhaps you wouldn't be as intimidated when it came time to share with your friends about Jesus? Jesus is stronger than Chuck Norris, wealthier than Bill Gates, and more eloquent than Billy Graham, and he is with you always. Take heart. Jesus is with you as you walk along the way. He brings truth to us as, he walks, as we walk along the way. He helps us in our confusion as we walk along the way. May we live May you live in the glorious truth of the risen Christ who does all these things, who walks with us, teaches us along the way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful story in Luke 24 and these wonderful truths for us. We ask you, Lord, to fill our minds and our hearts, our lives. Transform us and lead us in this wonderful truth, these wonderful truths, this Easter and beyond, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship.